So we've been spending um, our summer exploring the, the heights and depths of God's love for us. We are now going to consider God's progressive plan to consummate his love, to bring it to its ultimate fruition. As we consider this fall, the covenants of God. It's not a strange thing that when God gave John a vision about the end times, he used marriage imagery. He talks about the wedding feast of the Lamb. He talks about the bride of Christ and the consummation. The coming together of God in his great love and his beautiful bride that has been prepared for him. And we are the bride. We are the bride. <laughs> and right now I'm sure we're looking at ourselves and saying, what a motley crew. <laughs> We need some serious work. But we are his bride. And so we're going to look at the span of time that takes us from before the creation of the world to the end of the world as we know it. And see how God has graciously worked his purposes out so that that wedding feast will happen in the future. So we're going to be looking at God's covenants and why they matter. And so this fall, actually, leading to Christmas, which is, when you think about it, perfect. Maybe you'll understand that a little bit more clear later. But leading to Christmas, we're going to be taking a look at the covenants. You know the covenants that were given to Adam and, and to Noah and Abraham and Moses and to David. God's covenants with humanity. Wayne Grudem, a theologian, has described covenants this way. It's an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of their relationship. An unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement Binding between God and man that stipulates the conditions of the relationship. And so I just want to set this up a little bit this morning in a little bit of time that we have left. I just want to sort of give us an idea of some key things to keep in mind as we're studying these different covenants. You might say to yourself, well, what's Adam got to do with me? What's Noah got to do? I mean, that's a weird story. You know, what, what does this, these ancients, what do these ancients have in common with me? What, I don't get it. Hopefully, we can shape your thinking so that you kind of understand or will understand how God has worked out his purposes through these covenants. So, in his covenants, God makes promises to humanity, to his people. And he lays out his expectations. 
He says, I will be this to you, but I have expectations of you. See, God created us, and he, he didn't create us to be a curiosity. You know, I, I know guys that collect cars and collect uh, art and, and baseball cards and all sorts of things, and it's a curiosity. They're, you know, they're, they've got stuff, and, and, and it's fascinating and, and, and interesting for them, but... God, in creating each one of us, did so not just sort of because he thought it would be fun or interesting. He did it because he created us for, for, for relationships. Not just to sort of you know, make these people and then just kind of walk away, come back, see how they're doing. But he created humanity so that he could have relationship with them. He didn't make us inanimate objects. He made us in his very image. When you think about that, if you're building, creating something for relationship, obviously they're going to have to share a lot in common with the creator. And so he created us for fulsome relationship. He loves us. And he longs for us to love him too. But here's the thing. And, and I know that this already will be troubling to some people. Even though our relationship with God is, is meant to be loving, it's not born out of equal relations or equal relationships. In other words, we're like God, but we're not equal to God. And, and that's why the, term of, the terms of our relationship are imposed. See, God is God, and we are the created ones, and so he sets the terms and the conditions. We don't like that. From day one, we as a people have not liked having terms imposed upon us because we are an independent sort of person. We don't like rules and regulations. But you got to remember why God does this. He does this because he loves us. He knows what's best for us. And therefore, it is foolish for his creation to start to look at covenants or relationship with God in sort of a, a contractual way. You know, contracts where two equal parties sit down and I agree to do this if you agree to do that. That's not a covenant. Because we're not equal partners with God. God imposes the conditions upon us. And he does that because he loves us and he knows what's best for us. You see, this was a problem that Job struggled with. Job was a great guy. You, you know Job, who had all those terrible things happen to him. God allowed terrible things to happen to him. If Job had a fault, it was, it was this. 
he kind of expected some reciprocity, if you will. In other words, he figured that, unlike that song, that if he lived well, things would go well for him. And he needed to learn that that was not the case. That in fact, God in his great love for us allows hardship, allows difficulty and strife. And so he had these three naysayers that were really bugging him, and they were basically saying, look it, you've done something wrong to deserve this. And Job was like, I have not done anything wrong to deserve this. Which has been incriminating to God, right? Like God is being unfair here. But in fact, he had to learn that God allows hard things and even if in the hard times we have them, we know that our hope is still there. And so even Job, I mean, man alive, I wouldn't have been like Job. I probably would have done what Job, <laughs> Job's wife said, curse God and die. You know? Curse God and die, his wife said. I mean, you'd be better off dead than the life you're living. What kind of God do you serve? I'd be like that, I think. It's hard to understand how he could put up with things. So he was a solid guy, a good guy, a righteous guy. But God had to tear a strip off of him for this attitude that he had that there should be some reciprocity in their relationship, some, that it should be reciprocal, sort of like, I'm good to you, you're good to me, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. And so God basically said, who do you think you are, Job? <laughs> Did you create the universe? Right? What have you done lately? That matches what I've done. And Job got the point because he, near the end of the record of Job's story, we read these words, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? <laughs> who is the one who obscures my plans with no knowledge? You don't know what you're talking about. Surely, and this is Job saying, I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. So this is the critically important thing that we need to understand about these covenants that really grates on us because we are people who want authority ourselves and, and want to be self-guided and self-directed. We don't like to hear about a God who imposes things upon us. We have to understand that his imposition is born out of a great love for us. And so he enters into covenant with us so that we can experience the fullness of his love. What we are created for, a wonderful relationship with him. 
Isaiah wrote about this idea that we're we're not in a position to demand reciprocity. He wrote these words, My thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So if you try to reason this out, if you try to make sense of what's happening in your life, Good luck. You just have to trust. You have to put your hope in Him alone. He is our hope. And so that's the first thing I want us to remember as we look at these covenants. Is that they lay out the terms between God and humanity with His people. But they are designed with our best interest in mind. And the second thing and the last thing I want to point out as we sort of cue up this series on the covenants of God is something really, I think, really cool. And that is that each one of these covenants that we'll be looking at, Adam, the covenant given to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, they all progressively progressively lead us and are consumed in Jesus Christ. They lead to Jesus. You're all familiar with Google Maps. It's funny, Colleen and I were using Google Maps once and all of a sudden it started to talk to us. <laughs> Remember that, Colleen? We were like, wow, it's telling us the directions. It was on our phone, I guess. And now we use that all the time. But with Google Maps, they ask, where are you? Well, they don't ask, they know where you are. It's scary. <laughs> they know where you are, and then they want you to put in the destination. And then you get this little map and it it gives you these, you know, where you make changes and turns and what road to move on and that sort of thing. And so it gives you the directions to the destination. Through the covenants, God has purposely directed humanity to Jesus Christ. From the destination, God directs humanity through the covenants. And each covenant is kind of like a turning point along the road. But ultimately, it leads to the destination of Jesus Christ. When people say that Scripture is inconsistent, has contradictions, I I, I would beg them to come and listen to this series. Because there is no inconsistency in how God has worked out his loving purpose for humanity over time using these covenants with humanity. And so, through these covenants, God has purposely directed humanity to accept to understand, to comprehend the power of the cross 
and the person of Jesus Christ. Keeping in mind that his ultimate purpose is to take us from a desperate place of being an enemy of God, being on the outside of God, looking in, foreigners to God, aliens, to a place where we are his adopted children who he loves, taking us from being outside to the inside. That's the ultimate goal. And so he uses covenants, which leads us to Jesus Christ. And it is in Jesus Christ that we have the means by which we enter into that adoption. Isaiah says this, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. And I say, my purpose will stand and I will do what I please. If that was a tyrant speaking, you'd be right to be rebellious. But if that is a loving God who's working in your best interest, you should take heart and consolation from those words, knowing that God has worked from before time to now, to the consummation after the judgment when we are with Christ in a new heaven and a new earth. He's worked that all out because my purposes will stand, he says, and I will do what I please. And what he pleases to do is bless us and love us. And that's why in Jeremiah we read, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Jesus in his saving work on the cross is the ultimate hope of an eternal future, free from sin and death and Satan. And so, as we've said, the covenants all lead to Christ. Paul understood this. He said in 2 Corinthians 1, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. That's a powerful thing. Covenants are made up of promises. And he's saying that all of the promises that God has made, they are yes, they are fulfilled, they are confirmed in Jesus Christ. And so, we're going to be as we move towards the celebration of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ at Christmas, we're going to look at the Google map, if you will, of God's plan of salvation. This God's eye view will, will be a look at what we call the backbone of Scripture, which pulls it all together, which makes perfect sense. A few guys have written a book, God's Kingdom, and he said, they say the covenants are not the central themes of Scripture. Instead, the covenants form the backbone of the Bible's meta-narrative. And thus, it is essential to them to get, essential to put them together correctly in order to understand or discern accurately the whole counsel of God, which is the whole understanding, the whole meaning of God as presented in Scripture. 
And so what we'll be doing is we'll be taking a look from Christ back, and we'll be looking from the ancients to Christ, and we're going to see that God is working out his purposes. He's the one in control, and he is involved with us because he wants a loving relationship with us. I want to close with these words from Psalm 33. I'm going to read all of Psalm 33, actually. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully. Shout for joy, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. We should know that by now. We spent three months looking at that. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. This is the key. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose from, for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling places he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it can't save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice. We trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. We're going to see through this fall how God has meticulously brought about his purpose, purposes through these covenants, these, relation, these relational document, or ideas where he has said, I will do this. My expectation is for you to do that. And how slowly, progressively, over millennia, they've come to the fruition in Jesus Christ, teaching us, helping humanity understand why Jesus Christ had to be born of a virgin. Why Jesus Christ had to live a perfect life. Why Jesus Christ had to shed his blood. Why Jesus Christ had to die. Why Jesus Christ had to rise from the grave. It's all here. The covenants, like an onion, that's being peeled open. The covenants lead us to the next layer, to the core of the truth. 
that Jesus Christ is the culmination of God's plan of redemption for a lost world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your purposes. I thank you that you are an awesome God who has our best interests in heart, at heart. Thank you for the reminder this morning that we can't look to our circumstances, the conditions that we're living in, to determine your love or to, to determine whether you love us or not, but that we know that it is your love that will lead us through these things. And so, Lord, help us to see your mighty hand over time as you bring about your purpose on earth through Jesus Christ. Amen.